if you want to hunt lions, you go to the jungle, not the zoo. And I think today's planning environment, like we're no longer lion hunters, we're zookeepers. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Grow Up, an APG Canada podcast where we give strategic thinkers and creative tinkers opportunities to grow. I'm your host, Michelle Lee, and today on the show, and actually for the next 10 weeks, we'll be celebrating 10 years of the APG. With ABG Canada 10, we'll be releasing 10 new episodes to explore how strategy in Canada has changed over the last 10 years and what might be in store for the next. In the series, we'll be talking to strategists, creatives, HR, and management to gather their diverse perspectives. Today, we're chatting with Jack Dian, partner and head of strategy at Full Punch. And just before we dive in, we'd like to give a special shout out to the team at McCann for sponsoring today's episode. As one of Canada's leading strategy departments and supporters of strategic planning, they've shown a keen interest in continuing to help us foster and strengthen Canada's strategic talent. And for that, we thank you. Jack, welcome to the show all the way from Vancouver. Super excited to have you here. Um, terrific. If you could please introduce yourself to our listeners, tell us a bit about your background. And since we're celebrating the 10th anniversary of the APG Canada, we'd love it if you could tell us where you were 10 years ago today. Great. Yeah, thank you very much for having me, Michelle. It's great to be a part of this. Um, yeah, my name's Jack, and I uh, have been a strategist my entire career. I had a passion for advertising when I was in college. My roommate at the time was in film school and had a 16-millimeter camera, and I found myself writing commercials and storyboarding and we'd rent cars and go out and film on the weekends. And that, that was really where my passion for advertising started. I realized pretty quickly that I, I needed to get a book and I ended up furthering my education. Um, I went to grad school in Boston at uh, Boston University School of Communication with a major in advertising. And it was really great to be in that particular city. It was an ad city. You know, there's agencies like Mullen, Arnold Worldwide, Hill Holiday, Modernista, really significant ad agencies. And the school itself was quite legendary. Alan Holiday was one of my professors. It was really a cool experience to be a part of that. But it was there when I started to realize that maybe I wasn't a writer. That was my where my heart was. But maybe I was a planner. <laughs> my professor at the time, Toby Berkowitz, was the one who suggested strategy to me. Um, you know, I would set up my lines by telling everybody about what was happening in culture. I would talk about customer insights and then I would give my lines. And he was the one who suggested, well, maybe you're more of a planner. So I'm not sure what that said about my writing skills. But anyway, <laughs> I, I uh, yeah, no. found myself. Sorry. No, I was going to say that's that's really interesting because I think of the um, strategists that I've spoken to so far, a lot of them have given us this perspective of strategic planning um, coming from Canada. Um, you know, some people have come from the UK or had worked in the UK and we're kind of talking about maybe the early days of strategic planning in Canada, you know, 10 years ago or so. Um, I'm curious and maybe you're going to, you know, lean into this, but what it was like in the US back then. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's a big part of the story that I wanted to share today, because I think there's a big shift from my experience in the U.S. to my experience in Canada. And, you know, so I, I started my career at Mullen in strategy, and that was an agency that was really renowned for planning. Um, the head of planning, Ted Nelson, was one of the young founders who brought planning to North America with Chai Day. He was, um, you know, quite, quite um, you know, he 
really embedded planning within the agency at a time when everybody was fighting for what the value of planning and planners were fighting their, for their value in the room with the creative teams. Planning at Mullen was embedded in the process, but it was a bit of the wild west there. It was incredibly creative and um, and planning, you know, you did what you had to do for every client. There was no discipline structure, which I actually really liked and enjoyed. And then when I moved after about four and a half years to Arnold Worldwide, that was very a famous agency for planning discipline structure around the winning mindset. And I really enjoyed that process. And so I think both having that sort of freedom to and flexibility within strategy, but also the discipline to follow out an approach, I think has grounded me in, in, in the way that I approach planning today. So I spent 13 years in the States before coming back to Canada. So 10 years ago, I was working at Taxi. And that was really, for me, it was important that coming home to Canada, to Vancouver, that I found an agency that really got me excited and, and was worth the move because things were going really well in the States and the experiences that I was having working on big global brands like Four Seasons and Jack Daniels. I wanted to make sure I was coming to an agency that really kept excitement and that sort of ins what inspired me going. Mm. And so Taxi was young in Vancouver um, it had been around just a few years and the role that I had um, in leading strategy for the West was to help them grow outside of the TELUS business at the time, which was the primary business and to start to grow the agency West, but also South in, you know, going to the United States and picking up business there. The key for me, I think, and, and the big shift that I saw when coming from the U.S. to Canada was I was blown away by the differences in the investment in strategy. So in the U.S., we were launching strategy projects, you know, that cost tens of thousands of dollars into the hundreds of thousands of dollars. The, the clients just saw that investment as value. And that meant that we were in the field. Like, for example, I spent weeks on trains every year interviewing travelers for Amtrak. I rode across the country with a truck driver selling tools um, to mechanics with Mac tools. I spent time on back patios from New York to Chicago to LA, really just getting to know what it was like to understand that sort of outdoor lifestyle and culture for a decking company. I traveled into what I call the heart of darkness in the most dangerous parts of the US for gun violence, working with the Department of Justice. So that was in New York State, Florida, Colorado. But I spent time making observations in these cultures. Um, I traveled to the best hotels in the country and met with leaders of luxury brands to define contemporary luxury for four seasons. These were the investments that clients were making, spending the money, allowing us to make those observations to bring those insights back to the creative process. You know, clients saw that investment in the insights and we, I just love that opportunity. Like I, I remember when I was first in, in advertising, doing this type of work, I used to call home like every week, mom, you got, you won't believe what I'm doing now, where I am now. It was just a really exciting, it was exciting to be a planner. Yeah. So there's that famous quote from Jim Stangle. I think if, if you want to hunt lions, you go to the jungle, not the zoo. And I think today's planning environment, like, we're no longer lion hunters, we're zookeepers. <laughs> Instead of being interpreters of like consumers and culture, we're really interpreters of data. Clients are doing all of that legwork. They're investing a ton of money into data. 
but at the expense, I think, often at the ability to get out and continue to do the stuff that we do best, where we can get out in the field and understand culture, make those observations, and layer those insights to the data. And so yeah. to me, that's the biggest the biggest shift I'm seeing. And I think it, in some ways, um, we're not adding the full value that we can as planners when we're not bringing that level of insight to the table. Yeah. I mean, obviously, you don't work uh, in the U.S. market anymore, or maybe you do from from Canada. So the, that shift that you saw, do you think that's a function of uh, difference in, in country and investment? Or do you think just, you know, 10 years ago or 10 plus years ago, marketers were overall just investing in um, primary research, like letting creative agencies do that? Do you, do you think U.S. agencies are still doing that now? So it's, it's hard to say. I, from my experience, and when we did pick up business in the U.S. with some very significant clients, the investment sometimes is still much smaller now than it used to be. There's still a, a, a hunger for it. But really, I'd say that we're in playing more of a role of interpreting the data that, that, that they're spending huge amounts of money on, more so than actually spending the money to go out and get that added layer of insight. Yeah, it's it's also interesting because I feel like I've seen in some clients uh, a growth in kind of an insights department. I guess maybe it depends on obviously which client you're working with, but um, th- they're maybe still getting research, but they're getting it from different agencies or, or it's different types of research, obviously. Um, maybe it's less of the kind of ride along with truck driver ethnographies, but they're going out and doing more your traditional focus groups or heavy quant studies. Like what, what's your feeling there? Are you seeing a differentiation between like, where do you draw that line? I guess it's a, it's a very fuzzy line between strategist and researcher. Yeah. And I think that's part of the, the challenge for sure. I, I think the problem with, with, um, the problem with this current situation is that insight doesn't live in data. It just doesn't. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know, there's a cultural anthropologist that I used to work with. His name is Dr. Bob Deutsch. He's a brilliant mm-hmm. mind. He spent his career living with different tribal communities that never came in contact with outside cultures. And he took that learning and he applied it to business and advertising. He has a company in Boston called Brain Cells. And he said this to me, and it always stuck with me. He said, if you want to be a great marketer, Forget about marketing. Think about life. Life is where insights thrive. Data is is great. It's important. Don't get me wrong. But it's numbers. We have to interpret it. We have to understand that intersection of, 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 of life and brands. We need to understand how the two connect. And sometimes we're not getting that information just from the data. So getting that stuck in data alone without that investment into insight can be risky. And there's a reason for that. You know, data doesn't tell us everything. As human beings, we, we, we know this. We stink at predicting the future. But a lot of the research that our clients are doing is focused on how we might behave in the future, how we might change our perceptions, our consideration, or maybe even likelihood to purchase. You know, yeah. as people, we can barely decide what we're doing for dinner tonight yes. or what we're doing this week let alone tell tell you what we're thinking we might do um, regarding a brand in the future. So data needs insight, but insight feeds off of data. Yeah. So there's that relationship that I think is so important. And, and not all data is bad data. Like I think there's the, the famous example of, of WestJet. You know, 87% of WestJet employees are owners. That's the data point. Yeah. But the idea that owners care comes from the insight that when you own something, you care more. And it was mm-hmm. together, those two points that 
allowed that work to be so relevant and, and, and game changing for that, that brand. Yeah. So in the same thing, when I was working on Amtrak, for example, I, I spent weeks every year riding those rails, intercepting travelers and really identifying changes in perceptions of the brand, why they rode the train instead of the car or, or the planes. It was really interesting to be on those uh, on the trains with people at the time that they're experiencing that brand. And interestingly, the Amtrak has an incredibly uh, rich, brilliant research department that knows everything. From, you know, expected time of arrival to ticket pricing elasticity to the volume by routes. But they believed in, and more importantly, they invested in our strategic research as a layer of human insight into the data. And that's how I believe we created a board work for them year after year, because we had those insights. We knew how to connect and motivate people to travel because we experienced what they experienced. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I have another example. I think it's really interesting. When I was working on Mac tools, for example, and this again is in the States, we had a lot of data about tool purchasing, and you know, when, what time of year, the length of time between purchases. That was all answered in the data. Um, when I was riding around with those truck drivers and spending time in the garages, through observation, I was able to watch them. I actually noticed how filthy the garage were, right? like crumpled up oil, uh, towel rags, McDonald's wrappers, like it, it was uh, not the cleanest place to be, greasy floors. But what I did notice was every time these mechanics used their tools, they took the towel, they wiped them down, and they put them in the exact spot in their toolbox. They actually never shared their tools either. It was like if someone needed something, they wouldn't share it. It's their tools. It was their livelihood. And to, the insight really was simple, that the tools were everything to them. And through those observational insights, we led to a campaign that was titled The Tools Matter Most. And I don't think we would have arrived without that observation. And that wouldn't have come from a focus group. That information wouldn't have come from a stack of papers. It came from the ability to actually see that and how the mechanics were using those tools and the relationship with their tools. So I think as planners and strategists, we need to bridge that gap between data and insight. And I think that's the role of the planner. Like that should be the role today of the planner, but we're not always given that chance to get in the field, to yeah. spend time with customers. Yeah. You know, if you want to know somebody's diet, you can ask them, but isn't it great to go and open their fridge and to sit with them yes. over dinner? I think yeah. that ethnographic field work is so important, but we're not doing it enough. We're not doing yeah. it often enough. I, I think what's so interesting about all this is that what really underlies it for me anyways is is this storytelling. I mean, a huge p- component of our job is storytelling. And I think that those are the types of we naturally obviously as humans gravitate towards stories. And I think that those are the things that creatives are hungry for as well. Right. Like, you know, you, you're saying that the, the data point can be really interesting and can reveal something. But that's only the, the 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 beginning part. It's it's what you overlay onto that potentially in terms of the context or some of the textures or the nuances or even how consumers contradict their own data points um, where the real interest in country potentially lies. Yeah. Yeah. There's Um, actually a step that really freaked us out and was a large reason behind the inspiration to launch full punch. And that is that 89% of brands go unnoticed, 89%. 
And of the 11% that remains, 7% are remembered negatively. So only 4% of brands are remembered positively. I don't think that's surprising when you think about how much, how many brands you're exposed to, how many ads you're exposed to. And, you know, the majority of it is fairly vanilla. It's fairly boring. Some break through and, and those are the ones that really stand out. But I think that's a stat that 89% of brands go unnoticed is a stat that should really send shivers up and down the spines of every marketer, every advertiser, strategist, or creative. Like there's so much waste and there's a glut of this boring, vanilla, uninspiring advertising out there. And I think the challenge is, is when we have data without insight, and I know often we call data insight, that's another challenge. Mm -hmm. It's not, insight; it's fact. When we have the fact-driven work alone, Without that layer of human insight, I do believe we, it leads us to more boring work. Yeah. Okay. Um, what else has stood out to you in terms of, you know, so you started, you were at Taxi kind of 10 years ago today, and, and here you are now. Any other kind of big shifts you've noticed? I think there's obviously the media landscape has shifted right from under our feet. You know, the, yeah. the traditional um, media plans are, are gone. And the overall investment into um, into digital media is is massive. It's enormous. And I think, you know, in many ways, digital media is is does some wonderful things. I think it allows us to connect with brands in, in, a, in a way that is a little bit more engaging and fun, um, perhaps even a little bit more based on human truths. Um, but at the same time, it's not always working. And I think sometimes we're seeing so much of an investment into the digital platforms. Man, I'm not sure exactly what's driving that other than everybody seems to be doing it, but it's not always the best place to be. And I think it does work again for as an entertainment value. It works even as a, a broad awareness it, it, to build broad awareness. But what it doesn't do is create action for the brand. You know, and I think there's a statistic out there that you are more likely to survive, not only get into a plane crash, but survive a plane crash than you are to click a banner ad. But how much money is being spent on those things every day? <laughs> That's a category. Yeah. It's enormous. And the yeah. value isn't there. So I think, it, you know, there's a, this incredible shift. Digital media matters. I think, you know, you see a lot of brands that are participating um, in social without necessarily a point of view, without necessarily a voice, without taking a stance. And I think, you know, I think there's a lot of waste as a result um, rather than, you know, doing what you need to do to build the brand and be relevant and stand out. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, another interesting thing that I noticed uh, about you, obviously, is that you started an agency. Um, how many years ago was that now? I'm just looking at yours. Four, four years ago, almost five years ago. Um, exactly. is that touching right upon, <laughs> yeah, I mean, is that touching upon any of these, uh, trends that you, you've noticed or, or, or shifts, um, you know, there, I, there haven't been that many agencies. I was reflecting on this the other day that have actually been started by strategists in Canada that I'm aware of. Yeah, it's interesting. And I think it is one of the, the thing, you know, everyone talks about the three-legged stool of, of strategy, creative and, and accounts. Um, I think to have equal partnership and ownership uh, was something that's unique for us at, at that level. So to have a planner and, you know, as a, a part, equal partner in shaping the agency um, is, is different for us. It's something that we like to talk about, you know, and I think for us, 
these shifts that we're seeing are all reasons for why we wanted to to launch Full Punch. You know, I think at the end of the day, there's a number of things, even even just in terms of buzzwords like collaboration and the, the creative approach that we felt like we could change. And we have, you know, for example, when it comes to the creative brief, the typical process that we all know is the client writes a brief, the agency agency takes a you know a few days to a week to rewrite the brief, eliminate a lot of context, and then um, and then spends the next week briefing team. The client's kind of left in the dark through this whole process. <clears throat> what we've done is created what we call the warm-up and the workout. The warm-up is where we collaboratively work on the brief with the client. <clears throat> so we have one brief. We're not eliminating that context and we're inviting the creatives to the to have a seat at the table during that process so that they can ask key questions. They can hear the client's responses to those key questions. And then what we do next is we have what we call the workout where we get together with our clients, with our media team, our digital partners, our business team, and we work together through some pre-designated creative exercises to kick off the creative journey ahead of schedule. And what we're seeing is not only does everybody love being a part of that process, it's much more collaborative, but we're eliminating negative surprises where you come back two weeks later and say, here you go. Hope you like the work and hope we, we hit the mark. We're much more likely to hit the mark because we're listening to the client and we're pushing boundaries together in a way that's comfortable. Um, so it's, you know, things like that that have allowed us to look at the industry differently, um, create a set of tools that are different, a process that's different. It's, it's really what keeps us excited and, and also flexible. We're open to change. We look at our own tools every year, our own brand every year as a team to make sure that, that we're being flexible to adapt to the changes in culture and the environment. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's interesting because there's some commentary there, I think uh, also underline that uh, in terms of the relationship between creative and strategy and maybe even between strategy and, and the client, like, have you seen that kind of shift over the, the last 10 or do you see it uh, evolving over the next 10? No, it's interesting. I think, I think it's just, to me, that comes down to more planner style than anything. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. those same, you know, there are planners out there who are more comfortable in the research. Um, mm. There are planners who are more comfortable closing the door and working on briefs and then coming out and briefing the creatives. <laughs> um, there are planners who love the qualitative side, who love to be out in the field or, or be, you know, being present and a part of the development of the qualitative research and focus groups. And I think that's just true. I, I haven't seen a change. I still see that today where there's just different styles, different planners. Um, I think, you know, for me, at the, at the end of the day, the role of the planner is to drive in, and inspire the creative process, to be yeah. a part of that, to ignite it, to um, keep feeding it and to find a way to articulate insight in a way that feels fresh and different so that the creatives have a chance to come back with fresh and different work. Um, and I'm personally a very collaborative person. I believe in opening that door and spending time with our, our brand managers. And that's a point of difference for us too. We want our, our business team to also be strategic thinkers. So we don't hire just account managers. We hire brand managers who play a role in the development of the creative strategy and the, the, the brief. 
and in briefing the teams um, so that they're a part of that, they're attached to it. So for us and for, for me, having that sense of collaboration and, and hiring people that love to collaborate, that don't have that, that set of ego, but more of a, a collaborative approach, that's key to us. That's key to our success. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, I mean, it, it feels like, especially during the pandemic, the different tools have really uh, allowed for that. I feel like for years and years, we've been talking about collaboration, but it's really come to fruition for, for, a, lot of, uh, for a lot of agencies and for a lot of people. Um, what, what, I know you don't have a crystal ball, but what do you predict or what do you hope for kind of in, in the next 10? I mean, you touched lightly on the, the changing media landscape. I can only imagine that's going to continue to change. Are you seeing a shift away then from kind of a brand investment or do you think there might be kind of a, a shift back to that? Um, I, I think that we're going to actually see, if anything, a shift back. I think I think there's still an increasing demand for proper measurement to know what's successful and what's working. And the more we, more we pull the curtain back, there will be certain things that we just look at and say, I'm not sure that's the best investment. So I think there's going to be a shift back towards ensuring that what we do um, has an impact and meets our objectives, meets our goals. And I think that that's just going to be the case for the future. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Right. Yeah, and I guess for me, my hope for from a planning perspective as a strategist is that we're able to um, get back to providing more value. I think we need to bridge the gap between client research and the research firms and yeah. the agents. And mm -hmm. right now I'm seeing it where agencies are kind of left out of that relationship where clients have formed relationships directly with research firms. And we're the ones who have the insight into the client culture, into the client audience, the target. We have a lot of um, opportunity to influence the way questions are framed. And I think having the ability to bring research back closer to the agency, which back in the day, that's the way it was. You know, yeah. agencies had, you know, clients came to agencies and asked them to conduct, to conduct the research. We owned the research. And I think we've lost control of that. And I think having it gain that back is going to be really important for our ability to make the research more meaningful, not only for us, but for the clients and also more measurable to make sure that we're actually measuring the right things, the right brand attributes, the right, we're tracking the right aspects of the brand so that we can, you know, build better case studies, win better and more awards. <laughs> mm -hmm. Do you, given um, perhaps clients' hesitation to invest um, in this field work, maybe the way they used to, uh, do you see scrappier ways to do that? I mean, I, I, you know, there's agencies that have, you know, created WhatsApp channels and, and uh, chatted to, to consumers that way. Do any of those types of methodologies, um, uh, are those things that you guys are exploring? I guess there's a couple of things. One is I think the agencies need to do a really good job of, of, of proving the value of that kind of work. Mm -hmm. That's number one. Number two, yeah, absolutely. There, like there's many co cost effective ways of, of getting, you know, and engaging with customers from online focus groups rather than in-person focus groups. I still feel like there's a difference though between these scrappy ways of, you know, pulling together conversations online versus actually getting into, you know, the real environments where, 
customers are interacting with brands and spending time with them there. I think that that sense of observation is lost in the digital world yeah. versus being in the real world. You know, but I think also given that clients and I think there's the challenges that clients face tend to be the same, right? They, they come to us and they the challenges are often the same challenges. And right now, some of those things are that you know, brands in every category are saying the same things. They act the same. They look the same. They sell similar products. They have similar service promises. You know, we see this every day with our clients. And there isn't really a single category that I've seen that's really immune from that. We're all in the fight of our lives against indifference, the mundane. Brands need to stand out. And I think because of that, there's more of an appetite from clients who are, we're seeing this anyway, who want to stand out. They want to do what, something different. They don't want to look like everybody else. And to do that, I think it requires a different set of inputs. Um, you know, so we can't just use data alone. We need to understand the insights around the way people are intersecting with our brands. And I think more and more clients are starting to see have that appetite. So I have real optimism and hope that we're going to be doing a lot more of that kind of strategic work in the future. Great. Fantastic. Um, well, you, I think, are one of the few, if not the only uh, strategist that we had the good fortune to chat with um, from based on the West Coast. Is there anything else, uh, you know, given where you are um, that you think is is perhaps regionally different uh, about what you're seeing in terms of strategic planning or the industry? Yeah, I think it's interesting. I've, I've been able to work, been based out of Vancouver, but works also in supporting the network, um, you know, in and clients nationally out of Toronto. And so I have been able to see a, a difference between the two. And I think number one is just obviously the fact that, you know, Toronto is where most um, headquarters are for big brands. Mm -hmm. Vancouver is somewhat of a smaller market. Yes, we have a number of brands that are headquartered here as well, but not to the degree of Toronto. So that's a big difference. And then along with that are, are, is just ad budgets in general. They're much yeah. smaller here out west than you'll find back east. And and the interesting thing there is that I think we're, we're challenged as agencies with the expectation that we're still going to get the same results that we're still going to have the same kind of impact, even though the budget's much smaller. And so in many ways, I feel like there's something um, even more creative that's happening in a market like Vancouver, where you've got to be a bit scrappy. You've got to be a bit gritty. You've got to try things and take a little bit more risks in order to get the results that the clients are expecting yeah. with those smaller budgets. I think that's, that's something that's really interesting here. So there's a bit of a hunger to do things and more, maybe even a more of a willingness to try things that are a bit different, but that sense of risk um, and it's natural uh, for any client to take is, is probably the same. There's still a bit of a hesitancy and perhaps even fear of, of making mistakes and, and not going out there and trying something new because it's new. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. Great. Well, I mean, yeah, those those were our questions. Kind of where were you 10 years ago today? What do you have? What have you seen change over the last 10? And where do you see it going in the next? And I think you offered a really interesting um, perspective. I 
you know, I think actually the the point you make about getting out there and, and talking to people and, you know, marketing being about about people um, at, at, at its uh, at its root uh, is probably one of the most interesting part of our jobs, actually. And something that we often maybe take for granted or, or you know, don't don't realize that, you know, that's actually what we're employed to do. And so we should, you know, embrace it more fully and, and maybe trying to find uh, interesting ways to do that, even even talking to cab drivers or um, um, hairstylists or things you sometimes have the most interesting perspective um, can be a way at it. Exactly. And I, I think at the end of the day, in my mind, planners aren't researchers. You know, strategists aren't researchers. Research is a tool that we use to help us unlock insight, but we're not researchers. And I think getting out into the field and being more involved um, in helping to land those insights and work with the data that the clients have together. I think that's where we can get some real magic. Great. All right. Well, thank you, Jack, so much for taking the time to chat with us. Really enjoyed it. Awesome. Thanks so much, Michelle. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, share this episode, and leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts.